G'day, podcasting friends of the show. Quick update on what the podcast is up to behind the scenes of the episodes you're listening to. At the moment, we're pushing through some episodes on sexuality. Got a few more coming on that. Some different perspectives to be explored for sure. But I'm also simultaneously working on a series on Islam. Is it a threat to Western democracy or is it just Islamophobic to even consider that as a question? I'm currently talking to a few different people I've reached out to, episodes in the works, but if you have any interesting people to talk to, any interesting ideas to explore when it comes to the idea of Islam, let me know. Do you know any conservative Muslims? Maybe some liberal progressive Muslims. Maybe some mystical Muslims. I don't know. If you come across anything you think is interesting, a perspective you think worth exploring, send them through to me. I'll reach out and we'll get them onto the show. You remember, you help shape the show. Speaking of people who help shape the show, let's go over to the American reviews. Friends of the show who are from America who've reviewed the podcast on Apple Podcasts because it separates them into countries. I have to go to like the different specific websites. Tiffany Ann 87 says with the title, Breath of Fresh Air! Exclamation point. Just discovered. Ellipsis. Enjoying from afar. Oregon, USA. Oh, great to have listeners in Oregon, USA. I'll come visit one day and let's hang out. Uh, the willingness to be curious and open to discussions on such topics, the honesty and the respect. We need more Conrads, that's me, and company in this world. Tiffany Ann. Too kind. You gave it five stars. Thank you so much. Because reviews like that help give this podcast clout. Because let's face it, you can't get anywhere on the internet unless you've got some clout. So if you've got two minutes, join the show in building its clout so we can talk to some people who require a bit of clout to get them on the show. More clout, bigger the people. Let's do it together. Enjoy this episode. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Ideas Digest, the live podcast practice, we're live on Instagram right now, where we explore the ideas that divide us in order to find the humanity, Nathan, that I think connects us. My name's Conrad. And my name is Nathan. And if you're a new friend of the show and you're listening to this for the first time, welcome. You're very welcome to be here. As, as regular friends of the show already know, we all love to think we're open-minded, don't we, Nathan? Yes. I, I love to think I'm open-minded. I'm very open-minded. <laughs> Me too. <I> <laughs> Me too. But then, when it comes to listening to someone with an idea that we disagree with, the urge to ignore the person, unfollow them on the socials, ridicule or debate them is often too strong. Sometimes I'm guilty of this. Mm -hmm, it's, it's like, I, I can't deal with this right now, unfollow. <laughs> um, so we're all guilty of this. But welcome to the show. Join us on the journey into the uncomfortable space outside our little echo chamber where clickbait is just the beginning. Stole that from Bunnings. That's good. <laughs> you like I that like one? That. Uh, speaking of clickbait, let's get to it. Uh, the clickbait is, and I, <laughs> you, you get this one, I, I was listening to the book. Anyway, so the first clickbait I put up was the rabbit hole of sexual exploration. But then as I was listening to the book of our next guest, 
uh, sucker punch to the pussy. Wow. If that's not a clickbait, I don't know what is. <laughs> I, I just thought... Everyone is like, what is this episode about? I want to know. I might go with... You know, I'm all about that's the good. Clicks. I like it. I like so, it. Hey, we just need some context. We've got the clickbait. <laughs> Let's introduce new friend of the show, Brenda Marie Davies. Hopefully I've got that right. AKA God is Grey. Welcome to the show, Brenda. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. So the clickbait is sucker punch to the pussy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm hearing an accent. I'm guessing and uh, not really guessing, but Californian American. Yes. Uh you know, I was, I'm from Philly and Jersey. I roll. And then I used to talk oh. really fast. Like people on the East Coast, like just have places to be and like things to say. And over the years in California, just got slower and slower. And now oh, California speaks. To, oh. Yeah. Too much weed. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs> some problem. Uh, so... Speaking of weed, I guess it's legal in California. Mm. If uh, Brenda, we, we've just met, we're, we're just getting to know each other. If if Nathan and I were in uh, uh, California and we're just brow- perusing a weed dispensary, which mm-hmm. we don't have here in Australia, but in California, <laughs> and we ran into you fortuitously and we just met and got talking, what would be like the surface level information that you'd introduce yourself when we start on the get to know you level? We're at a weed shop in this scenario. <laughs> Sure. Outside of it, if you prefer. (laughs) I'd be like, there's, there can only be a few people in here at a time. Let's like pick up the pace and leave. (laughs) All right. Okay. No one wants to loiter around. Quick. Yeah. Well, it's, I would start a conversation with you guys by talking about the parallels I see between Australians and Americans, because Mm -hmm. funny enough, I have to admit for a while, I've been like, Australians drive me insane. They drive me crazy. Like, um, and then I finally realized it's because we have paralleled toxic ideologies when it comes to a lot of issues. We kind of have similar problems as a nation and we have similar issues in our churches and so I just see a lot of parallels I kind of feel like we're each like the frat boys of the world or something like Americans and Australians (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna say I like that you brought this up because (laughs) we're about to get into some judgments of, of you Brenda but You've led with something I'm going to go with quite insulting for Australians. Potentially, yeah, like, absolutely. So you deny this? You deny well, this? I, no, I'm not saying we deny it. <laughs> no. I, I might actually agree, but Australians, we pride ourselves on how much we, I wouldn't say we hate America, but we do <laughs> believe Americans to be ignorant, less educated, loud, distasteful. We're like, oh, those bloody Americans because they think they're so good. And we Australians pride ourselves on not thinking we're so and, good. Or, and not being American. Yeah, <laughs> and not be, so take that Australian listeners of the show. Yeah. I'm going to have to sit with that one uh. And, uh, and, and, and deal with that one. Um, For me, so- you, just, you just described yourselves. <laughs> Uh, oh, ow. I like this. I like. I also like that this is all happening in a weed shop as well. We've just met. I don't even know your name just yet, and you've just introduced and said I hate Australians. The boys of the world. Holy crap! I like that's it. bad. I, I won't hey. feel bad at all for the next segment. 
No, listen, the visual I have is just like you saying those stereotypes at me and us both looking in a mirror, trying to say it to each other. Like, I just see Americans and Australians the same, like loud, ignorant, racist, has issues. Like, it's just, but there's so many good people. And I actually have a huge Australian audience, which is kind of how I started to come to understand the parallel. You know, like, you're Mm going to hate what you don't like about yourself when you see it in other people. And I think we're reflecting each That's other pretty decently well, and we both mm-hmm. don't like what we see. So got to look at the plank in your own mm-hmm. eye is the moral of the story. I mean, on, on that <laughs> very good moral, I think that is very true. We judge what we often fear in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's what Australians fear, being Americans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so for, for the listeners, for, for the friends of the show who've just joined, like, oh, suck a punch to the pussy. I have no idea what's going on here. And now I'm, as an Australian, I'm being insulted. Who is this person? Brenda, <laughs> introduce yourself so we can put some weight behind that perhaps accurate judgment. Yeah. Well, if I've, I've uh, offended you by comparing you to Americans, then, you know, we're offending each other equally. So there you go. But um, yep. no, I love my Australians. And Sucker Punch to the Pussy is, is something that I wrote that is uh, pulled directly from my memoir, On Her Knees, Memoir of a Prayerful Jezebel. And that is actually in reference to Lisa Bevere, uh, who is a famous teacher or preacher in America. And I really am bummed at her because I was uh, just ingesting her content. And she is just a modern day teacher who completely props up and propagates purity culture and all of its toxicity. And she brings up things like that have really hurt me. And that quote, uh, Sucker Punch to the Pussy, was directly related to this ebook that she put out on her Instagram that last time I checked still stands up there. And um, it was saying things that were just so demoralizing and terrible. Like, if a man knows you too quickly, he won't want to know you more thoroughly. If you have given yourself away, quote, sexually, then you have nothing to give after. So it's all about how sexual activity diminishes your worth and means that you are less valuable than you were before. And all of that to say, I was like, that's just a sucker punch to where it hurts because that is so offensive. And she has never, from my view, from what I've seen, and I don't want to say never, I'm not like completely immersed in her context. But I have not seen her acknowledge that assault victims are not given the privilege of, quote, choosing when they're going to lose their, quote, virginity. So that's another reason those messages are toxic to me, because if someone takes away your value as a woman, your utmost, most important thing that you possess, then what are you? You're worthless, mm-hmm. according to this ebook. So I found the ebook so offensive that kind of in return, I did that play with words to just like punch mm-hmm. it up and like that's how it feels and that's real. Mm-hmm. So you've written you've written a book, and what it what I guess I guess this is a typical it's probably Australian question or the question mm-hmm. everybody asks is like what do you do? What what is it? that you do for it is it for money is yeah. it for hobbies that this is how we judge people as far as i don't know that's your that's your identity so in mm. that question what do you do brenda 
Who are you? What do you do? <laughs> okay, so my whole like work, what I'm doing? Sh sure, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I have a YouTube called God is Grey, G-R-E-Y. And there I originally started and I still continue to take what I believe to be toxic theology. And it started with things that I saw fellow YouTubers saying. Um, and then it really blossomed into finding toxic messages that I saw mainline mainstream churches propagating. And I use the Bible, historical context, um, intellect, and emotion in, in full unison and combination to really get people acclimated to the idea that we've been told a lot of misinformation about our sexuality and as it pertains to a lot of things, but my original focus was definitely heavy on sexuality because that's one of the areas that has been so gravely harmful to millions of people. And then I'm a writer, I have my memoir, and um, and I want to be a writer for the rest of my life. So those are, and I want to turn On Her Knees into a television show. So I kind of, I just love being a storyteller, jack of all trades, see where it goes, stay open. That's my vibe. <laughs> uh, good, good, very good summary. I feel mm. like you've, you've ticked some boxes of Californian stereotype. Mm -hmm. And to return the, <laughs> to return the favor... Uh, we've, we've just met, we've heard, you know, what you've been up to, some good depth there. And often, Great depth. Often, mm. with that depth, if Nathan and I are honest, Brenda, we've been judging you this whole time. We've, we've just met, maybe outside the weed dispensary, and we've heard what you do, you're Californian, we're like, oh, typical Californian creative type. Mm. And we, we've got some judgments, Brenda, that, that we would like to confess to you, and, and you can designate them into the yes or no box. You can go correct incorrect and and that might correct us and set us on the right path because people might have just met they might have these judgments if we're honest if we're just honest with ourselves so how does that sound great i love it <laughs> <laughs> all right well well on that one the, the slow ball was going to be you from california yeah we, we've established that the the fast pitch and this isn't a this is once again, actually not that offensive because I got it directly from your book, but it's an American thing. Aussie listeners, we don't, we're not. Liberal isn't a dirty word here. Uh, it's actually the name of our conservative party, so it's harder to be a, a dirty <laughs> word. Uh, Interesting, yeah. First, first judgment, maybe our, some American friends of the show might have of you. Brenda, you're a woke libtard. Oh, yeah. Sounds pretty harsh. <laughs> well, that was a yes. That was a yes oh, straight a away. Yes. I was like, no, yeah. Was that <laughs> yeah. a yes? I mean, that's what someone uh, that was down to be incredibly offensive <clears throat> and uh, uh, disrespectful to um, anyone with mental disabilities or, you know, it, it, it's disgusting. It's vile. No one should refer to anyone that way, but I have definitely been categorized as that. And I own it to the degree that in the very beginning of my book, I said, I'm white, I'm blonde, I'm American. What a cliche. And then mm. I said, but which one? And I don't have my book on my hand right now, but it was something like, you know, prude judgmental trump loving bitch or um you know liberal dumb what like everything that you just said because those are both cliches of a christian white girl living in america mm. and, and you would say you're closer 
to the woke libtard than the Trump bitch. <laughs> yeah, if you if you've got okay. to choose, if it's a spectrum, <laughs> if it's a spectrum. All right, all right, all right. Next judgment. Now, Brenda, I've noticed that you've been saying a few things like theology, and you know, even talking about God or purity culture, and these for me sort of come up straight away with like, oh, she she's a you know some sort of Christian, but but sort of Christian adjacent. And so my judgment is that you're just another progressive Christian that has to share a view. Mm. Yes or yeah, no? I, I no longer refer to myself as a progressive Christian because evangelicals love to box things in and define things in black and white. And what they have done is taken that term that we began using for ourselves, completely boxed it in, closed it up, decided what it is. They're starting to do it on platform on Sundays to scare people away from it because they love building a theology on fear. And now it doesn't even remotely represent who I am or what I believe. So no, that cliche is wrong. That is. She's figured me out. That was my (laughs) judgment. And then you've just shattered my judgment. Although I will say this. Classic progressive thing to say. Yeah. Oh, don't box me. Don't label me. I, mm. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard that. That's a that's a good one. Fine. Like classic it. evangelical thing. That's. I put a TikTok yeah. out about that. I was like, it's kind of hilarious that evangelicals are responding to this the way they respond to everything, which is like make mm. people really afraid of it, demonize it, tell people exactly what it is, and then tell people not to do it. Very evangelical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or a little bit like what we're doing here. Ne- ne- our next judgment, Brenda, and, and maybe we'll make this. Maybe we'll make this the last one because we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, this one, fresh from friends on Instagram, uh, and you know what's coming, uh, Brenda. I don't. What? And I don't. I don't. I don't get this as well either. But here we go. You're just a sinful Jezebel doing the devil's work. Jezebel, mm. like, I, Aussies. I swear, Aussies mm. don't use that. No. You're bloody Jezebel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that, oh, you I don't. don't. Like That's nice, nice to hear. How do you <laughs> how do you how do you disrespect women who are sexually active? What words would you use for uh, a sexually active woman? The common S one. But I don't know if Christians would use that. They yeah. would how would Christians they probably just promiscuous. They just say, oh Mis- yeah. she's a bit promiscuous. promiscuous. We wouldn't yeah, we don't really use the Although I've actually heard recently someone was saying, oh, the spirit of the Jezebel, like as a, like some sinful sexual. Anyway, you're one of them, Brenda. (laughs) You don't call Australians don't call women sluts or whores or anything. Oh yeah. But a a Christian wouldn't if if we're going from that, because this is a Christian critique, the Jezebel, like a Aussie bloke on the building site. Is not going to be like, oh yeah, mate, she was a bloody Jezebel? Yeah. (laughs) I don't think so. Um, well, I, I really own and honor that term because uh, the character of Jezebel and who she actually was, isn't what Christians are referring to when they call a woman a Jezebel. What they're really doing by using that term is suppressing a woman sexually and telling her that her behavior is not up to par with what they are demanding her to be. I'm about autonomy and um, honoring your body, honoring those around you, sexual integrity. Um, This is about shame, fear, and it's about putting women back into their place. So for me, when I said my memoir is Memoir of a Prayerful Jezebel, that to me meant like, 
yeah, I am. If you want to call me that, I, I'm fine. I'll take that on. I'll live that name out and I'll redefine it because women's sexual power is not something to be feared, not something to be shamed. If anything, it's something to be cultivated and something to be explored with pleasure and with autonomy and enthusiastic consent and with that woman's own desire and own longing for her life at the forefront of that. And I do that with my spirituality enmeshed, with um, my love of Christ enmeshed in the whole process. But I don't um, force that onto everybody. So everyone for me is going to have their own journey with sexuality, but that's for that individual woman to decide as long as it's done with mm-hmm. enthusiastic consent by both parties. Mm. It, it sounds like a lot of your work as we, as we move to the, the clickbait portion, which I guess pivoted to suck a punch to the pussy. Um, but this, the first one was the rabbit hole of sexual exploration. And it sounds like, um, that's a lot in your memoir and it's what you spend a lot of time working through and talking about occupying this Christian space whilst rethinking the sexual ethic that for so long has been various different versions of purity culture, whether it be, you know, very hard line or, 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 or at the very least, no sex before marriage. Mm. Aussies, we didn't get heaps... We're just not as sold out on things as Americans. Mm. Like I don't, mm. I don't remember anyone being like, "Yeah, I got my purity ring here." Like we heard yeah. rumor and jokes of it because we watch American television, but it's not as it's not as hyped up, I mm. think. But it exists on a spectrum somewhere. Talk to me about, I suppose, and you've mentioned it, like your work and journey to the, I suppose, the need to, exp- like, uh, have explore sexuality. I guess start us off with what what is that? What is it to like explore sexuality? Is it what what does that look like for people just going, isn't it like do we have to explore it or is it just always there or, or, or where where do you want to start? It's just do whatever you want whenever you want. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was that would have been all right, that's a wrap. I was like, cool, wow. <laughs> no, that, I guess that's the interpretation you've just hit. Yeah, that's the misconception that I hear all the time. And this is why I hate when people won't engage with um, dialogue with people that have a different point of view or the so-called, quote, progressive Christians that are being demonized because even if you don't completely agree, there are very valid things we are calling out, like the rampant sexual abuse across all denominations and all churches. And the most disturbing Mm. thing to me is that in our puritanical nation, we were built on these, quote, Christian values uh, while simultaneously behaving in very unchristian ways, which are well documented as far as colonization goes, that sort of thing. But a part of that colonization and puritanical lean is about the restriction of pleasure. And I keep saying that if God didn't want women to have pleasure, why would we have a clitoris? It serves no other purpose but female pleasure. And yet I have never once ever in my entire life heard a sermon at church that spoke about female pleasure and the importance of a husband or a partner engaging in a woman's body and making sure that she is an equal pleasure to a man. I've heard instead that... um, 
the man just is insatiable for sex. And if he sees a spaghetti strap, God knows what he's prone to do. And you need to protect his purity at all costs because they're just irrepressible horn dogs. And it's our responsibility to make sure they don't behave in that way. And then when we get married, we just have to lay there and take it. Uh, Ephesians 5.22, submit to your husband. If you want sex from your wife, do the dishes because that's what she likes. Women love sex too. Not every woman, like people can be asexual. People can be on the scale of desire. I happen to be someone that has always desired sex strongly, someone that desires sex still and enjoys it very much. So that narrative just never fit for many of us. It left us out and it also completely disregarded our capacity to pleasure, which is ironic as well because women have a greater capacity for pleasure than men. Men will experience one orgasm in a sexual scenario. Women can experience multiple ongoing rolling orgasms if you want in a sexual scenario. So for me, historically, it is very abundantly clear that men have feared this power. And I'm not saying that to diminish the modern man, but actually to encourage any male identifying person to lean back and be like, well, what does that mean? What was I told about female pleasure? Does that scare me? If my wife is capable of having sexual pleasure, does that make me feel like she's a whore or that she'll go out and cheat on me? And the worst point of um, this repression that we see, you know, is in countries where we are shrouding women in full head to toe garb. And I know that's, that's a custom in a culture where that can be honoring to a woman if she's choosing uh, to wear a burqa, for example. But for the most part, when you look at cultural norms like that, it is about shrouding women so they are not causing men to stumble, which is the way you would say it in Christian church. And in America, it's Seemingly less aggressive, but again, back to Lisa Bevere, she'll say the same thing. She's like, we shame ourselves. That's a quote from her. We shame ourselves when we dress in a certain way. No, we don't shame ourselves. We are just trying to live our lives. And those those scripts have been suppressing to us forever, for centuries. Um, another disturbing thing that I noticed that I never heard in church is consent, Never once ever in my life heard the word consent, let alone enthusiastic consent. As a matter of fact, I heard the polar opposite, which is Ephesians 5.22, submit to your husband. And men have done like joke sermons and they'll gloss it over and they'll be like, oh, like submit, just kidding. Like not if she really doesn't want to. The message is still clearly received by the women in the crowd, it's like, okay, to be a good wife, I have to do this. And my book supposes that you wouldn't have to force a woman into submission if you just all learned how to pleasure us properly. Submission should be for kink purposes only, not for rape culture, which is what the church has inadvertently created and propagated forever and ever and ever. And I'm done with it. Me and my crew are done with it. Us, quote, progressive Christians are done with it. We're all done with it. <laughs> Um, Brenda, you've gone you've gone into lots of different pockets here, and I think the one thing that that I'm certainly experiencing from the way that you're talking here is that this has been something that is, I suppose, ingrained in in sort of your experience in in church and ingrained in um in in your worldview of of uh of how you grew up and all that kind of stuff. I suppose 
Uh, at Ideas Digest, we really like to hear about the story that led you to this point. So we're hearing lots of lots of fantastic and, and interesting points that you're making here. But I, I want to know where how did how did you get to this point now? How how is it that you've you've ended up here? Tell us about your journey, your upbringing, um, what church looked like for you, what was your family like, that kind of stuff. Okay, so I grew up in a um, casual Catholic home life. So it wasn't really, really strict about like rules and um, sex was, it was a sex silent household is how I refer to it. And um, in that sex silence, we were really needing to navigate it for ourselves. I have, there's four of us in the household and we all really took different paths um, as far as our sexuality went. My brother is actually incredible because Um, we were, I started going to a non-denominational born again, evangelical church when I was 12 years old. And that was the first time I'd ever heard the notion that God cries when I masturbate. That was a quote from my pastor and that, um, God is devastated if I engage in sexual activity with anyone before I wear a white dress and say yes. So I was so genuinely in love with God to the pit of my soul ever since I was a little girl. I've always remembered having a deep connection to divinity. And what I feel in retrospect is that I was manipulated into believing that this divinity that I felt really inherently cries when I masturbate. It's like they took something that I already had within me ingrained and told and ascribed a character trait and fear to that divinity that I'd been engaging with my whole life. And that is why I believe I fell so hook, line and sinker for it. And I really became the poster girl for purity culture. I brought all me and my girlfriends out to the Christian bookstore and we got purity rings. Everyone was reading Joshua Harris's I Kiss Staining Goodbye and A Woman's Battle and A Man's Battle. And um, and my brother, I was going to say, is amazing because uh, I remember he was 12 at the time that we did the purity ceremony that I organized at my church. And my mom approached him and was like, why aren't you signing the pledge? Why aren't you doing this? And my brother simply said, mom, I'm 12. I don't know what I'm going to want to do with my sexuality. I'm 12. Wow. And I just thought that was so brilliant because my brother has always, always really led with that deep intellect and self-assurance that he was going to make his own decisions. And I admire that. And he's, he's a wonderful man to this day. But I, on the converse, was emotionally hook, line, and sinker. I was into it. And really, everything started falling apart when I found out that my husband had cheated on me while we were married. And I truly believe, and from what I've seen anecdotally, is that when you are ascribing to these really unnatural, suppressive um, ideals that maybe you don't actually own within yourself, you're clinging to certain Bible verses, you're watching certain sermons to try to be like, I will not masturbate today. I will not masturbate today. That is not a solid foundation. A solid foundation for your sexuality is within. It's something that you create with divinity. You, you engage with it. So I was unnaturally with with a leaky foundation 
told to save myself from marriage with a couple Bible verses that I was clinging on to. And at the end of the day, when my husband cheated, it was like this pendulum swing. Purity culture was here. That's where I was being perfect, good girl, saving myself. And my pendulum swung to the opposite end of the spectrum that I refer to as hookup culture. And I put a negative connotation to hookup culture in my work. I don't know that every sex educator would, but I do because I see it as the dismissal of bodies, of using people for sex, of using people for pleasure, of of not being sure if there's enthusiastic consent, everything that comes with completely disregarding any sort of sexual integrity. And what the work that I do now is encouraging everybody to be at the center of the pendulum where you're gently swinging in the middle, but you're balanced. You're assessing your sexuality, your desire, your pleasure, your partner's pleasure, their desire in this really like seamless, beautiful, calm space. And that to me is where I can hear God. This is why I call God is gray, God is gray, because we're giving these black and white narratives Purity culture and hookup culture give you black and white narratives. Like one says, never do it. The other one says, do whatever you want. Both are wrong. What we want to do is really engage and really come to these conclusions on our own. And my channel advocates for that and to do it in a spiritual manner. Although people that aren't on the spiritual path are also welcome to listen to my lessons about sexual integrity as well. I'm I'm hearing you describe... I guess, religion being used, and specifically, I suppose, evangelical Christianity being used to shame and oppress, particularly women, but I suppose boys are in there as well, especially with the masturbation thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, boys are definitely and, suppressed as well. And th- this is like, it, it sounds like you're painting a picture of like sexual ignorance, whether it's like this silence you grew up in where they don't talk about it or they talk about it in ways that you're kind of pointing at as like abusive and, and, and you used the term rape culture. Uh, I guess rape culture might be what you're getting at here, but what, what, what do you experience as the harmful end result of these scripts in, in Christianity that you're pointing at? What, what's the, what is that? What's the what's the harmful end result? And I suppose you've started to describe a bit of that with your personal journey. Yeah, my dear friend Linda K. Klein wrote this incredible book called Pure. And what she did was research for 12 years the effects of purity culture on people. And what she found, and she's not the only one, um, are a variety of diagnosable afflictions from erectile dysfunction for men, vaginismus for women, painful sex, panic attacks before, during, or after sex. Um, What else? Then, I mean, those are like the external, like, things that you can see and feel through your body responses. Um, Internally, though, it'll be shame, fear of hell, fear of others, lying to people, like telling people, you know, you're living a different life than you are. Um, and also compulsory sexual behavior, like not really being mindful of, um, when you're masturbating, when you're touching yourself, maybe you're doing it in public maybe you're, you have a compulsory draw to pornography and these are things. And then LGBTQ people, suicidal ideation, these are the results that she found on this 12 year exploration of what what it had done to people because um, 
I mean, there are many reasons, but because of these lessons. And when I talk about rape culture, the reason I say that so strongly is because when we pluck this Bible verse out of context to say, do not cause a brother to stumble, pervert it and make it about whether or not a 13-year-old parishioner is too sexy and the men and church can't handle it, um, that produces rape culture. I get messages all the time and you would be devastated to see how many hundreds of messages I've gotten, really hundreds, from women who were sexually assaulted or um, or just gravely mistreated by Christian men, the men that we were told that we could trust, that were godly men. And it's because y'all were inadvertently like accidentally almost given permission to say, oh, she was dressed that way. That is rape culture to be like, what was she wearing? But we do that in church all the time. What were you wearing? You better just saw a disgusting parody video of this father doing modesty as hottesty with his two daughters. The culture continues. And um, yeah, and we wanted to stop that answer. Yeah, like, yeah, a rape culture is one where the, the there is less onus and emphasis on the perpetrator of the forced sexual advancement and it's placed upon the woman and i guess that's done and you're saying through that culture of uh don't wear that oh you've got boobs cover them up Mo like the the woman's body is something to be shameful and and it's men the one that men need to be protected kind of that's that's the picture of rape culture as as you're painting it I, and I how ironic it. too because women need to be protected like it, it always has been that way but like we're not getting it. Like in America, there's this joke that so many fathers will like take a huge shotgun and pose in prom pictures with it and be like guarding my daughter. And the first time I ever saw that was probably like a decade ago. And I was like, you wouldn't have to guard your daughter with a shotgun if you were teaching your son about enthusiastic consent. But all you men are just in your you toxic- use shotgun for something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like you can't perpetuate this like harmful idea of what male sexuality is like, be a man, don't be a pussy, don't cry, don't be tapped into your emotions. Like who cares about her pleasure? Get yours like Ephesians 5.22, then get out your shotgun and be like, don't do any of these things to my daughter. It's like, dude, you're, mm -hmm. you know, we can't. And, and it's not just men, like women, we will inadvertently perpetuate this culture too. For me, when I learned the term enthusiastic consent, um, I was really blown back because as a woman, I've always been taught men are insatiable for sex in church and secular culture. And I realized just by talking to many men and having experiences with men that you guys don't always want sex no matter what is happening at any given time and that men and women are actually way more alike than we've been told that you have sensitivities that you want to feel desired and loved and safe in sexuality as well but um that too has led to like the flipped script where i've talked to men about their virginity loss experience and I don't use virginity, really. I use sexual debut because virginity is a social construct. But um, I've asked men, you know, like, when did you lose your virginity? And, and many men have a story like, 
um, my mom's friend was over and I wasn't really ready, but da 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 da. Or I had a babysitter and she was like five years older and da 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 da. Many Sounds men a lot have like not. Common pornos. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And that, and it's perceived to be something that's caught and sexy. Like if it happens to a girl, it's an assault. If it happens to a boy, it's time for a high five. And that's not true. It's sexual assault in both cases. And, and men haven't even been given permission to recognize your own sensitivities and your own desire or lack of desire for sexual engagement. We all have to respect each other with the, the enthusiastic consent, regardless of gender. It hurts all of us. Mm-hmm. I've he- heard you say a few times, I suppose, about the power of, of sex and the power of your sexuality and in particular what that means for, for women. Um, and then you mentioned sort of next to that as well, that, uh, that men, in particular men in power and pap- perhaps even um, men within, uh, within the church fear that power that women can have for their sexuality. Can you break all of that sort of down for us? What does it mean to sort of get get your power yeah, what from is, sexuality. Yeah, what is what woman's is, sexual power and why do men fear it? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, that's a huge question, but look at um, female mutil- mutilation in Africa. Uh, that is the most extreme example that we have. Are you familiar? Women I've in heard, Africa. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, little, little girls in Africa have their clitoris removed, cut off, um, mm. many times like not in a sanitary manner. Some girls die from it. Mm. And that is because the clitoris is the center of the woman's pleasure. And that, you know, I, I, I'm not like um, an expert in what causes people to believe the things that they do or fear the things that they fear. But what better example do we need of men fearing a woman in pleasure in her sexual power than a group of men, an entire society that's willing to forcibly mutilate to make sure that they don't experience that pleasure. And, um, you know, on a more like a much lighter like tone, I've just talked to men who worry about sex toys and like clitoral stimulation sex toys and vibrators because sometimes the question has been, well, then won't I be irrelevant or then she won't need me. Churches also too are expert at pseudoscience that is not remotely accurate. I did a whole video pulling male purity culture clips and they're horrifying. And, you know, this one guy's trying to talk men out of masturbating. And he says you release oxytocin when you masturbate. It's called oxytocin, first of all. And, um, and he also is talking about how if you program your body to self-pleasure, then you will no longer be able to experience partnered sex with pleasure. And that, by the measure of every sex expert that I've ever spoken to, is absolutely a fallacy. And what is that again based in? Fear. Who is the author of fear according to our religion? Satan. Like that is not of God. These, All these things are based in fear. You cut off a girl's clitoris out of fear. You tell a girl to cover up because you're fearing your own sexuality. Like if I'm talking about a woman's sexual power, it's a like it's it should be our own. But right now, many times it's presented as 
something that could cause harm to men or that could ruin a man's marriage because he falls in between our legs because of what we are wearing. Like, that's not giving enough power to you. Everyone needs to harness and own their own sexual power and stop blaming other people and shifting on into other people to be their responsibility. It's only your own responsibility. Um, but yeah, about the training of yourself to not experience partnered sex that's fear. So then what's going to happen if men are actually like lemmings and following that ignorant pastor into that rhetoric and they find a vibrator in their wife's underwear drawer? Then it's like, oh my gosh, you're not going to know how to have sex with me. Like I'll never be able to pleasure you again. Absolutely not true. And by the way, if your hand is holding a vibrator and you're using it to pleasure a woman, you are still the one providing the pleasure. So don't get it twisted. You can still enjoy these things. So yeah, I don't know. I can't solve why men are sharing it, but we all need to empower ourselves with education, true information. So we're not so scared of these things anymore. It's. It sounds like you're describing some kind of power dynamic and i heard i can't remember where i heard i heard someone else perhaps saying something similar where it's like men fear like the loss or loss of power dynamic or women being elevated in certain things and it sounds like you're describing a picture where if in a church setting if women are to be given this autonomy that historically they've never had and now they have autonomy over their sexual pleasure and it's not just at the dictate of the man. You're describing some kind of like, in this example, like a loss of ego, a man feeling inadequate and all those things. And, and maybe it's the fear of inadequacy, it sounds like, as to why they fear women's empowerment sexually as perhaps their empowerment generally in its structures. Does that sound like kind of what you're saying? Yeah, it does. And the really great solve for that is to explore your partner's body and listen to her and let her explore her own body so that she knows where her pleasure comes into play. Don't get your ego in the mix if she's like, that doesn't feel good. It's okay. Every vagina is a wonderland. They all need to be explored individually. And um, it, that can all be delightful. Like, delight in these the, these beautiful gifts that God has given us of pleasure. If you read Song of Songs, it is about couples delighting in each other's pleasure. Mm. That is what true God-oriented, divinely inspired sex looks like to me. Two people really looking at each other, really experiencing each other's bodies, being attuned. And then you can also be in tune with divinity, all of it at play at the same time relax enjoy yourselves like that's that's mm. what it needs to be it's not a competition of of who's doing sex better and who's in control of the situation no one should be in control mm. again unless you're doing a kink role play <laughs> yeah i suppose non-controversially where i think everyone can get on board with you're describing equality like <laughs> how about you enjoy sex together and do these things together and yeah, I guess that, that brings us to the next question. So I hear you talking about sort of walking this fine line between purity culture and hookup culture, that, that you're talking about mm. this pendulum swinging. Like normally if you're against purity culture, people go, oh, like you said, anything goes hookup culture. But yeah. you're also 
yeah, pushing against that as well. So, so what does like a new sexual ethic look like? And and I suppose like the Christian sexual yeah. ethic in its worst was purity culture or is purity culture. So, what's like this new sexual ethic? I suppose, and and it sounds like you're you're kind of talking about it from a spiritual framework or a Christian framework. So, what does a new Christian sexual ethic look like? Well, I do want to push back on the statement that you're walking a thin line between purity culture and hookup culture. I don't see it as a thin line. I see them as two opposite sides of this polarization scale and not at all having anything to do with integrity. Neither of them like manifests from integrity. So what integrity looks like is autonomy that you are not being pressured into a specific sexual ethic or told what is morally true for you um, from a pulpit or from an outside source, that you are really allowing your congregation, the people that are listening, your partner, your wife, your husband, to actually engage in their own sexuality, self-pleasure if they want, and really just determine what turns them on and like what is intriguing to them, not shaming each other. Shame should never, ever be a part of sexuality. And it's a part of so many of our sexual practices, again, because of these teachings. Um, And again, that's from secular culture and religious culture, these polarizations. So then the automatic thing when I say that is like, oh, so then you can just be a pedophile and you can just have sex with animals. No, that's where the next step to sexual integrity comes or really the most important thing, which is enthusiastic consent. You're not listening for a no because I was assaulted and I never verbalized a no because I didn't, uh, many different psychological reasons, didn't think I deserved it, didn't know how, felt scared. You know, when people are in a traumatic situation, you could go fight, freeze, fawn. I went into a freeze. So that man... Maybe he would have listened to a verbal no, and that's not enough because I couldn't give that. And many people, male and female, have been in the same situation. So you're looking for an enthusiastic yes. And, you know, I hear a lot of men talk about like, oh, well, now we can't even flirt. Now we can't even do anything. And it's like, yeah, you can. Like, I actually love a pervy guy that's like, hey, like, Pervy guys can be funny. Pervy people can be really entertaining. But you're you're taking the time and energy to be an empath and to intuit. Does this person want to be receiving what I'm putting out? And if you're not sure, be brave and bold and ask the question. Do you want to be in this situation? Do you want to have sex with me? Are you have comfortable having sex in this way? Ironically, the... Um, the kink community, specifically in the dominatrix community, is really, really good with sexual integrity. They have a list of standards and rules that completely secular people will follow where you have these really um, in-depth conversations before even getting in a sexual scenario. So if you're married, you could even sit down with your wife and be like, so I've always had this one desire and I want to know if that would interest you and what what are you comfortable with? Like what would make you feel okay in this situation? What are your hard lines? And the interesting thing is if you create a foundation of full transparency and conversation um, and you can create a safe word, even if you're doing what you perceive to be 
blase or vanilla sex because people who have been assaulted or have been in certain situations will sometimes have trigger points that you're not even realizing. So when you create a really, really safe space with someone and you have these really explicit, bold, brave conversations, then it's kind of like ballet. Like if you learn ballet first, like let's say that's missionary in the conversation, then you know where you can play from there. And then you're doing all kinds of different dances and you're exploring and you're expanding. And I mean, just I imagine sex in your head. Like I actually think divinity wanted us to kind of have a laugh at it a little bit too. It's pretty ridiculous. Like all of your kinks develop by the time you're six years old. So it could be like the smell of a leather jacket and you're like ready to go and you're like, I don't even know why I have this fetish, but this is my thing. (laughs) So like there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just like, are we on the same page with this or not? Do we both really want to be here? And while we're here, are we being sure that there's no shame, no fear, no condemnation, no judgment, and we're creating a safe space for this engagement? And, you know, the controversial thing I'll say is that your Christian practice could be like, hey, that needs to be within marriage. And I honor that. If that's what you believe, I do honor that and I respect it fully. But in return, I really believe our Christian communities need to allow for the fact that not everyone is going to hold that same standard. And we all like still deserve to be in community with God without being told we're Jezebel's all barf emojis just for having a different point of view. <laughs> I, I, I suppose what people might be hearing. So th- there's the non-controversial that people hear and go, oh, we're all about consent, equality, working together, finding out the nuances with p- different people, how we can work together sexually to develop that. And I'm, I, there's no clear defined lines on before marriage, after marriage, masturbation. It's like, it's all a gray conversation taking place. Uh, but people might, might be hearing, oh, she's just saying, follow your feelings and ignore the hard stuff as Christians. And... And they might going, oh, she's just some kind of like progressive sexual apologist. I suppose a, a, f- a few of the pushback might be like, are you just saying like, follow your feelings? There's no, there's no rules. And why even bother being Christian then? Like, why not just be an atheist and not even play this game of like biblical interpretation and things like that? What, what's your thoughts on that? Because just because people bogarted Christianity and act like it's not the profound and deep love of Jesus Christ and act like purity culture is the God that we're supposed to worship doesn't mean I have to submit to that. I'm a Christian because I love Jesus. I believe he's divine. I believe he walked the earth as God manifest. I'm a Christian and no one can take that away from me. How we decide what kind of doctrinal beliefs we have, Jesus also addressed that. What did he say to the Pharisees? They said, what is the most important law we need to upkeep? What did Jesus say? Love yourself, love God, and love humanity, love your neighbor. That's what I do. I'm a Christian. As far as the hard thing of of Christianity with your sexual ethics, yeah, repression, unnatural repression that is not actually intuitively a part of who you are, what you actually believe, the cognitive dissonance you experience when you're forcing a heterosexual union if you were born a homosexual person, that's all hard. 
But to me, that's not Christian. Christianity is based in love. And that is not about throwing everything out because love requires sacrifice. Love requires self-sacrifice. I have a higher sexual ethic as far as who I engage with, how and when right now than I ever did as a Christian because my sexual integrity and my ethic is inside of my soul. It is something that I created with divinity in unison with God and and with theology and with my research of it and with my understanding of it. So these things, unfortunately, <clears throat> should be enjoyable discussions that we have as Christians. Jewish people are really good at this. Rabbis will have heated conversations about their doctrinal beliefs and then all clink wine glasses and move on with their lives. No one's going, well, you're not a Jew. Like, what are we doing? Like, if everyone sits at a table and says, I'm a Christian, I see this differently than you. What is another thing God says? Humble yourselves. Humble yourself and listen because people will bring value of their experience. And if you're not listening, then you're not hearing it. And again, if the hard thing about your Christian sexual ethic is white knuckling it until the day you die and making sure you never masturbate in the shower because God will hate you, do your thing. That to me is not Christianity. It, yeah, it sounds like you're pushing against these labels of like vying for the label of Christian. That's kind of that kind of what is what it sounds like. I mean, I don't uh, want to fight wanna, for it. We're all Christian. Let's be done with it. We're if, Christians. If people want to uh, find out how, where to follow you and where to catch up with you, where can they best do that? Please grab my book on her knees, Memoir of a Prayerful Jezebel. Um, that's my life's work so far. It's so important to me. It's The forward is by Joshua Harris, the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Good friend so of the show. He wrote the quintessential purity culture book. I like to think of mine as the quintessential anti-purity culture book. Um, follow me on God is Gray, Instagram, YouTube, and yeah, that's it. Mm. Brenda, thank you so thank much you. for <laughs> taking so much time. A million more questions, but you better go. All right, perfect. Yeah, Brenna was on a tight timeline. Yeah, <laughs> that's to the that's to the dot. That's 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 fine. That's okay because uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Brenda had to go. Many more questions. So many more Nate, questions. What was that? What was that last question? Well, my last question um, for her it was was what what is purity culture at its best? She obviously had a lot of critiques about purity culture, and and mind you, she had a lot of. A lot of critiques about hookup culture. I know, well, which no I appreciated. Into either. Which I appreciated yeah. though. Like I appreciated it wasn't just like yeah. purity culture is bad. Let's just go the other, the other. Let's walk the other direction. You know, yeah. you Some know, mindlessly. Yeah, yeah. So I appreciated yeah. that she she was kind of sitting somewhere in the middle. You know, with this pendulum swinging, and maybe I defined it a little bit too like fine line. <laughs> did say the fine yeah. line because we do yeah. like to walk a fine line. But yeah, I, I think but I I know what she I know what she meant. Well, I know what she meant. So I, I, like I was top, like, yeah. yeah, what does what does a purity culture um, at its best? And hookup culture at its best. Yeah. And yeah. then hookup culture at its worst and purity culture at its worst. Yeah. That's where I would have ended if we had seven more oh, minutes. Seven more seven minutes, more minutes. Yeah. But thanks for tuning in. If you've joined us live and fired through some questions and engaged in the chat, I sadly, due to time constraints, I couldn't you know get through to look about it. I see some people talking about sermon and masturbation and things like that. Great conversations. Keep those going. Um, if you made it to the end of this episode, it was a short one. So... 
if you disagree with the whole episode, it didn't go you for that long. You could crunch this in 15 minutes, mate. <laughs> 20. <laughs> 20, sorry. My maths 20. is no good. I listen on triple speed to my books. Oh, very good. Get through them. Very I, good. Um, I tried to read uh, Brenda's book. And when I went to do my prep, it hadn't been released yet. Oh. And then I forgot to check again. And then like the morning of, I was like, oh, it's out. So I crunched like, I don't know, I could check. I think I crunched like three hours in one hour. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah, impressive. Yeah. So uh, pretty impressive. But if you made it to the end of this episode and you're triggered the whole time. I'm feeling triggered. You feel No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> well, you could. I, I could know. be. Maybe. Uh, if you made it to the end and you're triggered, do you have a question? Fire it through. Was that was that the thing? Do you have a question? We were gonna we we're gonna ask if you if you're triggered. Yeah, if you're triggered. Oh no no! no. If you're triggered oh, and yes. you and you you almost disagree. Like that's yes. what we're saying. When you're, you're like triggered, uh, you're, Brenda, she's saying do she's what you wrong. want. There's no clear sexual ethic. What do I teach my kids in Sunday school? Yep. Send through what it is that you could see the value in what she was saying. What is Brenda's ideas at her best? Yep. Her, what's the best ideas she represented that you even might if you even disagree with it that made you either adopt it mm-hmm. or at least go that's something to sit with and digest mm. if you agreed with it mm-hmm. this episode easy listen easy 50 minutes or whatever it is 20 minutes in your case <laughs> 20 minutes in mine at super easy what is it that you think maybe she didn't answer well that maybe mm. doesn't round out the worldview that perhaps you share and mm-hmm. go mm, was there a question that was asked or didn't ask that might have made the worldview not as solid as you, th- as you thought it was. Mm. They're the two things. But as always, if you make it to the end of this episode and you're super triggered, send me a message and I'll send you a golden emoji to thank you for your time. It's highly coveted, mm. the golden emoji. I haven't yet to receive you one. You haven't got one. I haven't got one yeah, yet. Well, maybe a few more episodes and <laughs> then we'll give you a golden emoji. But they're exclusive. I'll send you through one. We love hearing from you. Comment on the posts as they go through. Conversations. If you want to throw the judgments through, like old mate did this morning when mm-hmm. I put up the mm-hmm. advertise, he's like, yeah, Jezebel doing the sinner's work, like hard judgment. And good mm-hmm. friends of the Ideas Digest show were like, they were actually they were actually saying, oh, perhaps listen to the episode and see what you think, you know? So, yeah. so it's, you know, it's a, mm-hmm. well done to mm-hmm. uh, friends of the show, Ideas Digest community. You can send me an email if you're thinking, because here's the thing, Nath, I, I get sucked down rabbit holes. Because one thing leads to another, like Josh Harris. I, mm-hmm. I was chatting to friends with Josh Harris, who who uh, Brenda mentioned, and then all of a sudden, oh, now I'm connected with Brenda. God is great, and I'm like, oh, well, that's a good opportunity. She's like, it's a great ideas, mm-hmm. but I, am, I I go down like these rabbit. You might be thinking, oh, it's always about purity culture. Yeah, kinda, because I'm just kind of going where the vortex takes me. So yeah. if you want to pull me out of that vortex, send me an email and say. Check out this person. Mm. They're the exact opposite. And then I can get kind of sucked down maybe the evangelical route where they're like, yep. no, no, this is purity culture at its best. I would love someone to come on and say purity culture at, at its best. Yep. So we love hearing from you. Digest at gmail.com. Digest on Instagram. You can join us live where we record the shows live. You can send through chats. I believe that's it. That's everything. Thanks for listening. We will catch you in the next episode. See ya.